Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, lead pastor Josh Karstensen continues a vision series for our ministry year called Something to Say. Our fourth ask at Northwest Hills is to serve with intention. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns us that we can only serve one of two masters. One is worldly wealth, but that doesn't last. And the other is God, which does last. So, given what God has given you, your time, talents, and passions, how can you best serve God? Also, as part of the Something to Say series, we'll start the message with someone's testimony. We hope you find it encouraging. Now, here's today's message. Hi, my name is Andy Ross, and my wife and I have been going to Northwest Hills for just over two years now. Yeah, I'd say following Jesus has changed my life um, and brought me to a place that I never thought I could be. You know, before I knew Jesus, before, I want to say before I met him, but really before he like kicked down the doors to my life and came into my life, um, I lived a wildly different life. I was a drug addict. I was engaging in lots of criminal activity. I uh, had lots of interpersonal problems. I was really estranged from my family. And, um, and then he came and met me in my brokenness and in my, you know, my tragedy and trauma and all of the bad decisions that I made. And um, he really met me in that. And uh, after coming to know him and after really surrendering my life to him, surrendering my decisions to him and all of my mistakes and regrets and joys and dreams to him, um, I live a life that I never could have imagined. My story is a bit of a modern retelling of that story in Acts where Peter's in jail and an angel comes and he gets miraculously and supernaturally let out of jail. Um, yeah, I, I was arrested for drug dealing. I had many uh, multiple felony charges and a big bail. and. My second day, my second day in jail, I met an angel. An angel came to me in my jail cell, um, looking like and clothed like a real human, and he explained the gospel to me. He taught me and told me about who Jesus was and what he had done for me, and um, I decided to give my life to Jesus that day. I I prayed for the first time, I read for the first time, and I committed for the first time. And the next day I got a call from my public defender and they had dropped all of my charges. They dropped my bail down to zero dollars and they were gonna let me out in half an hour when the paperwork went through. You know, I'm now at this point, seven and a half years clean and sober. I have a a fantastic career that I'm super grateful for. I know so much more about who he is and what he's done for me and who I am because of what he's done. I've been married to an amazing, fantastic, godly woman for two years now, and yeah, man, I'm just, I never could have imagined my life being like this. And, um, you know, it's such a stark contrast from where I was to where I am now. And um, yeah, it's never been the same. I'm just so grateful for, I mean, all of the, all the big things and all the little things that the Lord has done for me you know, all the major accomplishments and ways that he's met me down to just, you know, the little day by day ways that he, that I, that I know that he's here in my life 
um, and present. And yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that he took me from where I was, from this place of brokenness and loneliness and despair and showed me how much he loved me, showed me how much he cared about me. And now because of what he's done, that none of that stuff matters. All that matters is Jesus and his righteousness and his glory. And that's all God sees when he sees me. And I'm just so grateful that I get to be a son to a father. You know, I get to be a co-heir to a heavenly kingdom. And I get to walk every day knowing that my God is with me and that he has a plan for me. And I'm just so grateful for that. Speaking to all the prodigals out there, like there's no level of sin or brokenness or pain or mistake that is too much for God to handle. You know, he he wants to meet us in our feelings, in the big feelings and in the back, in, in the little feelings. You know, I think of uh, when my favorite story in the Bible, when Jesus raised Lazarus. I think of the shortest verse in the Bible, when he weeps, right? He knew he was just about to raise Lazarus, but he still gets down on the ground and cries with Mary because her feelings are important to him. You know, where she's at is important to him and he cares about her. And so, yeah, I just want to encourage anybody out there that, you know, feels like they've gone too far, they've done too much, or they're unworthy, or they could never be loved by God, that that is a lie, as Josh would say, from the pit of hell. And you can never do too much or go too far. You can never outrun God's love for you. I said at first hour, it's a hard story to follow. Uh, but An- Andy was here, and so super cool. kind of got to talk to him. And um, I know we hear that story, and I know some of us go, no way. Like, there's no way that that actually, was that really an angel? Um, and to, to the doubters in the room, and that's fair to doubt. It's a, it's a crazy story. Um, a couple things. Number one, like he tried to figure out who this person was and he was, there's no record of him, nowhere to be found. No one like came into jail, like literally cannot find this person. Um, second thing, I've heard that story before uh, and not just from him. Uh, a few years ago, I was uh, in the middle, of, I was elk hunting and ran into someone in the middle of nowhere, literally the middle of nowhere and he was telling me his story, and he said, I was uh, incarcerated, I was in prison, I had a big fat book against me, and uh, I was visited in a vision, and God explained who he was, and he explained the gospel to me, and I gave my life to him, and the next day I was in front of the judge, and the judge literally lost the book. He's like, I don't, I don't know why you're here, uh, there's no record of anything saying why you are in jail, um, you're free to go, I guess. Uh, he became an evangelist and gave his, literally, like, he spent like 20 years like going around telling the story to different uh, military and police settings because he was in trouble in military court. Um, and Andy's story is very similar. And, and I would say also, um, if that's hard to believe, like, Jesus came to earth as a man and died and rose again. Like, that's a way harder story to believe 
And if we can believe that, I can believe that an angel would come and kick down the door for someone. So, man, uh, while Andy's story is profoundly unique, um, it's also super common for a God who loves people. And that's awesome. So, Andy, you're not in the room. You were here first hour. Thanks again for sharing your story. And um, as we're going to do every week here, our, our theme is something to say. We all have a story. And, you know, the truth is not all of us have been in prison and had a story like that. But, as I was telling a friend of mine last week, um, if God didn't save me, my story would be way worse than that, I'll tell you that. Um, And so we have something to share, and all of us do. And so uh, every week we're going to hear a different story. Um, Welcome to church. My name's Josh. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. If you got a Bible, we'll be in Matthew 6. I'm going to start, though, in Matthew 7. And I, I don't want you to turn there because I just want you to hear these words. Uh, I'm going I'm to say them. I want you to just hear them. I want you to sit in it. Uh, however you do that, maybe you're an eyes open person. Maybe you're an eyes closed person. Uh, but I just want you to hear these words from Jesus. He, he gives I, probably the most famous of his sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, kind of Matthew 5 through 7. And we're going to just sit on his final words from that, which will kind of tee us up into kind of the core of what uh, we are talking about with our vision and mission and the invitation that Jesus gives us ultimately to live kingdom of heaven now while we await to live it in its fullness in the future. So listen to these words from Jesus. And again, just, just take it in. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. If we believe that Jesus is God, if we believe that this man who walked on earth 2,000 years ago is who he says he was, and and we do, uh, then these aren't just words that we want to ponder, right? These aren't just words that I want to think about. Um, These are words that are true, and because they're true, like, this is really significant, uh, they're common words. We, we've heard them before. If you grew up in church, maybe they're brand new to some people. But as you think about these words, Jesus says something very profound. He says, uh, unilaterally, all people will experience the metaphorical, what he calls storms of the wind, the rain, and the floods. And you name it, like we all experience whatever that may be in your life, right? Physical hardship, financial hardship, relational strains, anxiety, depression, whatever, you name it. It's going to happen to everyone. But what you do with your life, the choices that we make, the obedience to what Jesus has invited us into, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, what that obedience is, will determine the, the results of those trials, whether or not our house will stand or our house will fall. 
and he concludes this with this very straightforward, he's like, hey, I'm giving you an invitation right now. I'm telling you this is what life is about. If you follow me, you will last, and if you don't, there will be great trouble. Right? In a similar way, it's not the exact same way, but in a very similar way, I think the same thing is true of our vision and mission around here. Because what we've done with our vision and our mission is we've taken the heart of Jesus, we've taken all of his words, and we have combined them down into kind of the lowest common denominator of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And as we've kind of launched this whole year, we're talking about um, our heart. And I would say, man, the invitation is to follow the vision and mission of Jesus. And if we don't, I think these words still apply. We think about what our vision and mission is here and what we've been talking about. And we've talked about a couple different steps. And the first step of our vision and mission is to love Jesus. And we want to be a church that does that well, right? And that starts with having a faith in him. And that it starts with exploring who he is. If you're not quite there yet and trying to figure out, do I believe in this? Is this real? Is this for me? Was that just back then as kind of a, a moral guru and a guide? Or is this actively, does, does God exist today? Uh, as we try to figure out how to love him, we talk about two different steps. Three weeks ago, we talked about what it looks like to love what Jesus loves, right? To love his people, to love his church, to be radically committed to a gathering like this that we say, hey, you matter to me and this gathering matters because I'm here to worship God who created me. And that matters. And then two weeks ago, we we talked about practicing the spiritual disciplines, that our faith is not simply coming to a building, listening to someone on a stage speak to me. Right, that my faith is far more than this, that my faith is something that's between me and the Lord, that it takes me being an active participant in, that God invites me into not to earn his love, right? We talked about this. I don't read, I don't study, I don't fast to try to make God love me more. I do that to stir my heart towards him. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Right, and then last week, uh, Justin, the guy who's having a boy, good job, JJ, wherever you are. You were here first hour. You're back here. Good job. He, he spoke on community, this kind of Christianese type word that ultimately says, again, your life matters, right? We don't want to be navel gazing like people that just look at our own lives. Turns out when all we think about is ourselves, we are a miserable people, right? And it's so much better for our souls when we look around and we say, hey, I see you. You matter to me. Uh, I want to be involved and engaged, and, and we talked about different ways that we do that through community groups, through all kinds of different ways, but ultimately trying to be a church that, again, doesn't just gather here, but gathers in homes where we can say, man, what's really going on in your soul? How can I deeply care for you? Right? Because it's great to have friends that you sit next to, but we want to know people who re- we really want to know what's going on. Today, we're going to talk about the, the fourth ask. Next week, we'll, we'll land it uh, with making Jesus known, kind of a simple conclusion to if God has changed your life, like if I have had this radical encounter with Jesus, I need to tell the world. I have something to say. Um, but this week, we're going to kind of land on serving. And again, if you grew up in the church, this is a word that we use all the time. It, we're, we're tired of it. Let's be honest. Like It's hard to preach on right? Serving. Okay. How do we talk about serving again? Right? I mean, there's so many different things, but man, over the last two weeks, as I've been um, deeply thinking about what does it mean to serve and, and why serve and what does serving do? And really the, the profound importance of what happens in my heart when I serve, I mean, I, I would just say the invitation is going to be clear today. Like we are called to be a people who serve. Uh, and again, the invitation coming out of Matthew parallels our vision. Um, but let's, let's pick up what Jesus was referring to in Matthew 7 when he said, anyone who obeys these words, and we'll kind of tie right in from there 
to our vision about serving today, a part of what it means to live like Jesus. So if you are able, um, would you stand with me? We're going to pick up Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. We're going to honor God's word by standing. When I'm done, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you can say thanks be to God. Here we go again. This all ended, this whole section ends with Jesus saying, anyone who hears these words and does them will be a wise man. So here are some of these words. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light, is in, you, the, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can grab a seat. Uh, I'm going to start backwards today. I'm going to start with his conclusion to his argument, and then we're going to work our way backwards. He, 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 he concludes with a statement saying, therefore, you cannot serve two masters. Uh, he's going to make a case. He's going to make it very clear that you have a choice. You can only serve one. You will either love one and hate the other or love this one and hate the other. And he makes it very clear. You cannot both love God and money. Right now, money is a cheap translation here. Uh, the Greek word is mammon. Uh, it's a word that's used four times in this context in the New Testament, once here and three times in Luke 16. We'll jump in there in just a minute, but it's the idea of earthly accumulation. It's the idea of wealth, and ultimately it's the active idea of trusting in earthly accumulation for your well-being, right? So this whole idea of mammon, there's another section, like I said, in Luke 16 that talks about this, and we hear similar words from Jesus, and I want you to hear these uh, as this word kind of gets fleshed out in God's heart towards this concept of trusting in what the world offers through earthly accumulation. Luke 16, 13 says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Then listen to what happens next. He has this really direct interaction with the Pharisees. Verse 14, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. And listen to this, what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. I mean, that's a fascinating little piece there. What's highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. And, and it's this whole idea of mammon, this whole idea of we as Americans are really good at creating this worshipful experience that if I get this and you fill in that blank, then I will get ultimately what I think my heart wants. And we're good at that, right? You, you play the lottery game, right? Right now, I think as of this morning, the Powerball is something like $1.55 billion, right? And why do people play that game? People play that game for one reason. It's because they think if I get that, that thing will give me something, right? And that something, we have this long list of what we think that something is, 
right? Whether that something is finally I will have dignity. Finally, I can do whatever I want. And in me doing whatever I want, finally, I will be happy. And you can put in whatever you want in that blank of whatever lottery it is. Maybe it's, man, if I only had whatever, girlfriend, boyfriend, wife, spouse, like whatever that thing is, job, career, uh, physical achievement, whatever, mammon is believing that that thing will ultimately fulfill you. And God's going to say, no, no, no. Like there is nothing on earth that you can accumulate in a bank account that will fulfill what your soul really wants. And so therefore, you only can choose one master. And he makes it really clear. He uses this language, you can only serve one master. That word serve there comes from the Greek word doulos, which is where we get our word slave from. So he says, you're going to be a slave to something. Uh, we translate the word master. It comes from the Greek word kurios, which is where we get our word lord from. So he's saying, you can only be a slave to one lord. We don't get to oscillate between one or the other. We, you know, we, we try to play this game sometimes where we think, oh, I'll, I'll play a little bit of the world game and then I'll do my Sunday thing. And, he sa- and Jesus is making it very clear. No, no, no. You get one Lord. You get one. Uh, and, and he doesn't mince his words there. In fact, he makes it so clear in Luke 16 and here. He's like, you will either love the Lord and despise what the world promises, or you will chase what the world promises and despise what the Lord promises. You only get one. Going back to uh, whether or not this word can be trusted, whether or not uh, a story like uh, what we heard earlier can be trusted, uh, we got to know, is this true? Right? Because it's one thing for Jesus to say, you can only have one Lord. And it's for, it's another thing for me to believe that. Do I believe that I can really only have one Lord? And And Jesus knows that believing him is really important. And so in verses 22 to 23, he makes an argument. It's a weird argument. Um, I'm not going to go all the way into the details of it. But ultimately, he gives this analogy of an eye. And what, what he's talking about in the eye is this the ability to know what's true. And he says, hey, if you know what's true, if you know what's right, if you know what's good, you will believe me and it will lead you to understanding uh, and, and then he kind of builds it up with this argument that he makes starting in verse 19. Uh, starting in verse 19, he, he doesn't just tell us we should have one of two masters. He says, here's why. And so today I want to, as we're challenging ourselves to figure out, do I have one Lord? I want to help make the argument of why we should only have one Lord and that being God. So let's go verse 19. Verse 19, he says the following. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Uh, Ultimately, he says living for worldly wealth is foolish for one reason. It doesn't last, right? Uh, Commentators have used all kinds of different alliterations for this, uh, rot, rust, robbery. Um, It's fickle. It's temporary. Like the things that we think we can get, whether it's that shiny new car, whether it's the new home, like these, even a good relationship, right? These things ultimately don't last, particularly when it comes to material possession, which is what kind of the heart of mammon is all about. Uh, You think about those of us who've lived long enough to see people uh, pass away and kind of see what happens to the things that we've chased after our lives. Like that's a pretty humbling experience if you've ever watched someone pass away and die. Uh, a number of years ago, about seven years ago, uh, a bunch of you were, were here, and my, my uncle passed away. He had cancer, and 
I was with him through the process, and it was a hard process. We, uh, I'm, I'm uh, one of three uh, of his ne- uh, niece and nephews. Sorry, um, we are his only relatives. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, so when he was diagnosed with cancer, I was in the room with him. We were in Arizona, um, and the doctor comes in. And he's like, "Hey, you, you got stage four cancer. You're going to die this year." Uh, a month later, to the day he died. And uh, then it was up to my family to kind of go through and process um, what was left of his life and estate. And it's a, it's a bizarre thing. Uh, some of you have walked this and you know what it's like, but it's weird. You know, you have the funeral and then we, we go back to the house at some point a day or two later and, and my two sisters and my parents are there and it's like, well, I guess if anyone wants something, just go around and pick out things that you want and see if other people want them too, then we can kind of figure it out and... Then you're like, well, okay, you kind of fill up a bag of like memories and I don't know, do you, do you want this pencil sharpener? I guess, it's kind of weird. And, um, so we all kind of take some things and then we, then we go home. And then my mom calls a, a thrift store company and they come with a semi-truck and they fill it up and they take everything in the house and then it's gone. And then you call a realtor and you sell the home and you make a few more phone calls and a few bank transactions later, everything is gone. And it's weird. Um, But what isn't gone is what Jesus describes when he talks about laying treasures in heaven. Uh, Because what isn't gone is the memory of who Craig was and how he lived his life. What isn't gone is the story of my parents praying for him for years to become a follower of Jesus and later in his life watching him do that, right? What isn't gone is him treasuring and valuing things way more than just the silly trinkets and toys that fill up our houses and garages, right? What isn't gone is when we invest in what matters most, and that's in the kingdom of God and in a a serving, loving relationship with God. What's not gone is his heart, Ultimately, what Jesus is after here is he's after our hearts, right? And he's after it in a very unique way. And he does something beautiful here. He gives us kind of this weird little hack of how to get after our hearts because getting after our hearts is a tricky thing. Uh, you think about it as a, as a church and as like someone who's trying to follow Jesus, we all want a heart that follows God, I think, right? And so we're trying to figure out how do I do that? How do I stir my heart towards something? And Jesus knows that that's challenging. I mean, this whole section of the Sermon on the Mount, he's trying to stir hearts. And he gives us the most unique little hack here. Uh, And I think it's beautiful. And I think it feels so backwards from what you would expect. But listen to what he says for how we are to move our hearts. Because he doesn't just say, well, change your heart and love me. He says this in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now think about this for a minute. I think if we were to just quickly respond to this, I think we would think the inverse of that would be true, right? I think naturally we would say, well, where your heart is, there your treasure is. But Jesus says, hey, no, he says, orient your treasure in such a way and your heart will follow, right? So think about this with just, for just a minute. If you want to move your heart towards something, you got to treasure that something and you treasure that something through serving it. He's going to make this super clear here in his whole language of being a Lord to one master. You got to serve something. So how do I move my heart towards my wife? I serve her, 
right? Even if I uh, am struggling to love something, but I want to love that thing that I'm having a hard time loving, how do I do that? I serve it. And in serving that thing, I'm treasuring that thing, and then my heart follows it. It's kind of fascinating. I I was thinking about this a a number of years ago. Um, My wife and I had an opportunity to go overseas, and um, we, we went to Asia. And if you were to ask me growing up, would you ever want to live in Asia? I promise you the answer to that question would be no. Uh, I grew up in rural Northern California, kind of small, isolated area, and the thought of like giant, big city with tons of people living in Seoul sounds miserable to me. Um, After moving there for a couple years, what does God do to my heart? He melts my heart for Asian culture in a way that you would never believe, right? To where it's like awkwardly in love with that culture. Like I remember coming home uh, after two years and like, I'd find someone from Korea and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I live there. I love your people. And they're like, I'm in Winco. Like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> like, it's, it's a thing. <sighs> to move our hearts starts with us making a decision to treasure it. And to treasure it is to serve it. And Jesus says, if you want to love me, you serve me. You move your heart there. How do we do that, though? How do we serve something? Right, I can tell you a uh, hundred ways to serve my friends. I can tell you a hundred ways to serve my wife. Um, how do I serve God, though? Because right, that's a very Christian, Christian thing to say. Oh, just serve God. Uh, and it's a powerful, beautiful thing to say. I, I think some of the greatest speeches in all of the Bible are about serving. I, in fact, one of my favorites, I'm going to read it because I think it's so beautiful. Uh, this whole section where God makes this promise to Abraham. He's like, hey, through you, I'm going to build you something incredible. I'm going to make you a nation and I'm going to show the world um, who I am through you. Right? By the way, be praying for Israel right now. Man, my heart's just been heavy for everything that's going on there. Um, but as that... As God has been working through this nation for a long, long time, he made a promise to Abraham. And he made that promise, and 600 years later, Joshua gets to that land. After 400 years of slavery, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, after watching Moses die on the other side of the river, the baton is passed to Joshua. Joshua gets there, and he's in the land, and he makes this plea right before he dies as they're building cultures, they're building cities. He says this to this people. This is Joshua 24. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. He has this powerful, like, you have a choice to make. He says, Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, he's saying, If you can't do that, choose today who you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you dwell, but as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a powerful speech. Like live by a powerful life, but, but you dissect it down and you go like, okay, well, what does it mean? Like what does it mean to serve the Lord? Like we walk out of here today, right? And we're going to get into our cars and some of us are going to go to lunch together and some of us will go to a new lunch and some of us will have dinner at friends' houses. Like how do we serve the Lord? Um, I got 17 points, joking. I got a couple points (laughs) about how to serve the Lord. Um, And obviously it's not exhaustive, 
the Bible is filled with ways to serve him. But I, I just want to look at three real quick before we wrap it up here. Three ways that you and I are called to serve him. Um, the first one is, it's a huge part of our lives, uh, especially as you become adults, uh, some of you younger kids, uh, but it's in our work. Uh, point number one, I serve God by working for him. Let's go Colossians 3.23. We read this, whatever you do, right? Whatever you do with your life, whatever you do with those 40, 50, 60, sometimes 65 hours in a week, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When we work our jobs, we're not working our jobs just for a paycheck. That is not the reward, right? The reward for your 40 hours isn't a, here you go, here's a W-2, right? The reward for our work is serving a God who is our ultimate boss, which has huge implications on how we are to work, right? So what does it mean? To be a Christian, to serve the Lord means a huge part of my life, this whole thing called work, which by the way is a pre-fall gift. So for those of you who are like, I hate work, you don't understand the creation order and you don't understand how good it is that God created us to work, right? And if you've struggled to find work for a long time, you might feel and know how good that is. But pre-fall, God says to Adam, hey, I want you to cultivate the earth. I want you to name the animals. I want you to co-labor with me while we bring dominion and order out of chaos, right? That's what the invitation was pre-fall. And as we do that, we think about, man, how am I working for the Lord and not just for the man or a paycheck, right? What does that look like? For one, it means I'm going to be a person of huge integrity, right? It means no one's going to wonder if I'm showing up today. No one's going to wonder if I'm giving it my best. No one's going to wonder if I'm working my hardest while maintaining a healthy life balance at home and at work, right? No one's going to wonder that. If they need to find the right person for the job, it ought to be me because I'm going to give it everything that I can because you know what? I'm not working for them. I'm working for him, right? So to be a follower of Jesus, to serve God is to serve in the primary area that most of us spend most of our lives in. It's not just Sunday morning. However, it is at Sunday morning too sometimes, right? I should do a little plug, right? Uh, we need nursery care. On the real, I should say this. It's in my notes somewhere. There are Sundays where people don't put their kids in nursery because we don't have enough workers. I mean, that's, that's a real thing. So if you want to help out in the nursery, Go talk to Jesse. Go talk to someone. But that was totally outside of where I'm trying to go. But work, work as if for him. Uh, Number two, I serve God by loving who he has placed right in front of me. Let's go 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins, I love that. I just, I just love that. Love covers a multitude of sins. You think about the people that we're working with and the people that are around us. We are going to sin against each other. But what, what gets us past that is our love for one another and our ability to forgive one another. And then listen to what he says. He says this in verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, we all have them, Use it to serve one another. And why? As good stewards of God's very grace, varied grace. I mean, I, I was talking to a friend on Friday. Uh, she's a professor at OSU, heart of gold. 
Uh, she came in and was trying to figure out, like, I've got a bunch of grad students who don't have enough food and money for rent. How can we help them? Uh, that's just a heart for those around us. That's a heart to see, man, there are, there are needs that exist that aren't just in Israel right now, that aren't just in Ukraine right now, that aren't just around the world, but there are needs in our own city, in my own neighborhood. How can we meet those needs? And we want to be a people who have a heart to see those needs. And we want to be a church that meets those needs. And we want to be a people who meet those needs. How do I serve the people around me? Which means I need to be aware of the people around me. Right? I need to be aware of what's going on with my friends and my coworkers and my neighbors and people in my circle. Like, I need to be aware. How can I serve them? Lastly, and we'll land on this, I serve God by being faithful with what I have been given. In Matthew 25, uh, I think one of the most telling and most beautiful parables that there are, there's this parable where there's a master and he's handing out three different gifts to people. Um, he, he gives one person a, a gift of five talents, which is just a, a dollar amount. And he gives another person two talents and he gives another person one talent. And he says, Hey, I want you to work with what I've given you and I'm going to leave. And eventually I'm going to come back and I'm going to want to see what you've done with what I've given you. And he leaves and the person with five, he puts all the talents to work and God doubles that effort. And then the person with two does the same thing and he doubles the effort. And the person with one, he's afraid and he doesn't use what God's given him. He takes that money, he buries it in a hole in the ground. And ultimately the master comes back and he says, hey, what did you do with what I gave you? Right? What did you do with the family that I gave you? Right? What did you do with the friends that I gave you? What did you do with the mind that I gave you? What did you do with the body that I gave you? I think it's easy for us to look around and... and just wonder, man, I, I wish you gave me something different. And I said this first hour, early this morning, I was watching Craig on the drums. I'm just like, that is so cool. I wish I could do that. And then I thought, you know what, God, you've given me different gifts. Uh, and I don't want to spend 20 years trying to practice and be that good. Um, but the fact of the matter is, like, we all have different gifts. Uh, to the one who buried his gift the master ultimately comes back and he's furious and he takes the one thing he gave him and he gave it to the other people and he says, away from me, you wicked and slothful servant. And what has God given you? He's given all of us something very different. Uh, and he's given us all something very valuable. And it's not, as Christians, we don't play the comparison. We don't play the what's more valuable. We play the, God, what's the hand that you gave me and how can I use this for your kingdom? That's what it means to serve God. As he ends this section, uh, at the end of chapter 6, he ends in this uh, kind of interesting therefore. And he talks about this word that maybe you've heard of. Uh, it's called anxiety. Um, he says, therefore, and this is right after. This is right after he says you can't serve God in money. He says you've got to choose one Lord. He says, therefore, don't be anxious. And I think he's getting after the fact that most of the time when we are trying to serve mammon, it's our anxiety saying, I don't think God is for me and I don't think what he has is enough for me. And then he, Jesus goes on and he talks about, hey, look at the lilies of the field. Like God takes care of them. He'll take care of you. And, and he makes this beautiful statement. He says, God knows what you need. 
And he'll give you what you need, when you need it, in the timing that you need it. And then he gives us one last le- therefore, and I'm going to end on this, and then we're going to pray. He says, therefore, seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, serve him, let your heart follow, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Right? All these things, meaning like all the things that you thought you wanted, like he'll give you what your heart needs if you seek him first. I want to end in prayer with the same words that we started today. So would you pray with me? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. Lord, I think most of us in this room want to be a people who build our our lives on the rock. That invitation to live heaven now, um, God, it's a beautiful invitation. I pray that we'd make a choice today, God, who am I going to serve? And in in serving you, God, our, our hearts will follow. God, for the person in the room who has built their house on the sand and and maybe they have experienced or are experiencing that house fall, your grace is enough for anyone in this room. And ultimately, none of our houses would stand if it were not for the rock that is you. And so we're just going to sit here and we're going to marvel in that. And we are going to be okay that In some seasons, man, that storm is coming and that rain is coming and that flood is coming. God, because we can can hold on to you. Jesus, thank you for inviting us into a life of heaven now. Help us to follow you. Help us to love you. God, and in all that, we just say thank you for doing what we couldn't in loving us first. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.